This is Saoirse Monica Jackson and you're listening to Girls on Film. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Welcome to Girls on Film. I'm your host, Anna Smith, and this week we're remotely revisiting the Cinemagic Film Festival with two young filmmakers and Saoirse Monica Jackson, star of the Channel 4 series Derry Girls. Cinemagic is an award-winning film charity and it's the leading film and TV festival for young people in the UK and Ireland. Cinemagic loves the magic of film and TV and it recognises its power to educate, motivate and inspire. This time last year we were on a stage in Belfast recording episode 24 with an audience of young filmmakers and film fans. We reviewed Maleficent 2 and we revisited Bridesmaids with my guests Ashlyn Clark and Brona Taggart. This October 2020, like a lot of festivals, Cinemagic has gone virtual for now and it has a month-long programme of online opportunities and new films for children, families, young adults and young filmmakers with industry talent like Mark Kermode. Dermot O'Leary, and my first guest today, Saoirse Monica Jackson, who plays Erin in Derry Girls. Teenagers have rights now, you know. Don't be ridiculous. They do, ma. It's true. Sure, Macaulay Coco might be divorced and has parents. Do you hear this? This will be someone she met at that stupid summer scheme you insisted we sent her on. A bloody friends across the barricades thing. I have nothing against Protestants. I'm all for integration, I am. But if they're letting their Wayans divorce them? Macaulay Cogan isn't a Protestant, ma. It's only going to give our Wayans ideas. Well, you might be. But I didn't mean him at friends across the parquet. I don't care where you met him. You're not to see him again, understood? Welcome to Girls on Film. It's great to have you on. Oh, thank you. It's a weird year. What's this year been like for you? And I think we basically just all try and make the most of any situation, don't we? So... I've basically spent all of lockdown reading all the books and I've always wanted to read and really taking a moment to um, use it as an opportunity to step back and sort of think about the work I really want to do and watching all the great films that I hadn't got round to seeing before and really sussing out as well the people that I would like dream basically of working with eventually one day. Well, it is good to have that chance, isn't it? It's a silver lining. And now this episode is in association with Cinemagic. What's your involvement with them? So Cinemagic, I'm actually a patron of Cinemagic now. Wonderful. Yeah, and it's obviously a great honour and they're they're an amazing charity slash organisation at home that um, gives young people an introductory into our industry. And I'd say basically their main and most important ethos is making young people from the north of Ireland believe that they can get a job. Um, and this amazing industry that we're in, which obviously massively contradicts our current government statements <laughs> yes. over the last couple of weeks. But when Cinemagic first approached me about getting involved with them as a charity, I just couldn't think of a better one to be involved with. And it's definitely something that's really close to my heart. Obviously, the north of Ireland can be massively underfunded in so many different elements across the board. But 
particularly in the arts. And I think it's such a crucial part of our culture um, and it's embedded in our culture with poetry and actors and musicians and artists across the board. And it's an out, it's an, I mean, we all know that it's a, it's an outlet um, for whatever is going on in your life. And I think it's important to be building up the next generation, that, the next generations that are coming behind us and give them that sort of insight and let them have those connections with the people that have went ahead of them, basically. How did you get your big break? My first job was actually when I was at drama school and it was for the Sky TV show called The Five. And I was auditioning for like maybe like one, one couple of lines in it and they kept calling me on and I was like, oh my God, they really go for it, don't they? <laughs> and then it turned out then that there was a, a bigger part in it for me that the writer Harlan Coben had written under the series and the director Mark Tondadari was just so kind and so helpful to me and after that job then he then set me up with meetings with agents in London so he really gave me a helping hand under the industry so I think this it's well that's sort of what Sunny Magic then is doing giving people a helping hand and that sort of foot in the door. Well, it's, it's great to see you supporting young filmmakers and we'll be speaking to some of those later in the show. Um, but obviously Derry Girls is what a lot of our listeners know you for. Um, it's so much fun and it's great to see a series focusing on the bond between girls, you know. Do you think there's a feminist aspect to the show? Oh, definitely. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if that's like completely intentional or it's more... I can't imagine Lisa McGee ever writing any woman not to be strong or well-rounded or to write a full embodiment of a woman in any character but I definitely think writing a show particularly about Derry it's sort of embedded in our culture at home just through the city's history that when there was basically no jobs it was the women that were earning the money in the shirt factories and I mean Derry women tend to be quite strong women and that's really throughout the whole show from Michelle Mal and Jamie Lee's character um, selling Avon on the school bus to make a quick <laughs> buck to all her feminist views about sex. What's going on? I don't know. But do you think if I told him I had an incendiary device to my knickers, he'd have a look? Michelle, he's a soldier. Look, some of them are right. I'm willing to admit it, even if nobody else will because I'm a beacon of truth, Erin. You're a mouth, that's what you are. It's a very funny series. Have there ever been any mishaps on set behind the scenes or, or, or while you're filming when you found it really hard not to crack up laughing? <laughs> I mean, every scene, every scene is like that. <laughs> and I think that the worrying thing is we find each other so funny that we're sometimes worried that people won't find us as funny as we find each other. Like, we, as we say in Derry, like, we're dying about ourselves or we're dying about each other. <laughs> we're like, and it, it, it's really hard to get through each scene and each take. It really, really is. And I think when I get the scripts, I always laugh, imagining what way the rest of the guys are going to do it. And, I mean, their performances always exceed the expectations. But I can't even think of, like, one in particular. I think in season two, Louisa Harland, who plays Orla McCool, jumping out in that, in that ski suit when we're all trying the prom dresses on, and she's deadly serious. And she's like, I know there's just nothing that doesn't suit me. It's just <laughs> all those moments and the way she jumps out and stuff. I just find the rest of them so funny. And there's a book, is that right? Tell us more about that. Yeah, so we have a book coming out very, very soon 
which is Aaron's Diary. Um, obviously, Aaron's Diary features in the first season of about. I think that's actually yeah where we're introduced to the diary in the first season, and that's that's coming out soon. So that's just going to be. I haven't actually had the privilege of reading it yet. I'm going on to do the audio book very soon. But I think it's just going to be more. I mean, we just make up so much about our characters that we think that they would love and know. So it's going to be great to actually. I, I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to reading Erin's diary. <laughs> <laughs> Will it inform your performance? Are you revisiting her as a more to come? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think by the time we get round to shooting season three, I will need to be revisiting her. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any other projects lined up? I know, as you said, it's a strange time, but is there anything in the offing? Yeah, last year was sort of a bit of a scramble by the end of the year, and there was a good lot of projects that we were hoping to get over that sort of last finish line. And now with everything up in the air and timings and making everything work, it's it's just, yeah, that final push then to get them through. So as of yet, there's nothing that I can talk about. And sadly, I should have been able to screen them from the rooftops at this very moment, but... Unfortunately, it's not planned out that way. So hopefully within the next couple of months, going into 21, that will be the case then. Fingers crossed you can come back and tell us about it. Exactly. Meantime, we would love to know what else you've been watching. And um, you sent me over a little list. And I have to say, almost every single one of these films that you've picked out, we have featured previously on Girls on Film. Oh, no! No, I'm just going to say that means it's you have amazing taste. I'm congratulating you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. You're just spot on. So let's start very quickly. If you can do a little one or two liner on each one, why people should watch it. So the first one is Eighth Grade, which we featured the director, Bo Burnham, in episode 10 of Girls on Film. Why do you love eighth grade I just thought that eighth grade was so refreshing as a watch I actually direct messaged on Instagram like an absolute fangirl the lovely leading actress from it oh she's um, brilliant is her name Elsie yes right Elsie yeah. Fisher yeah. yeah I sent her a direct message fangirl and I just thought it was a real honest depiction of what it's actually like to be that age I just thought her performance on it was absolutely stellar and for the age that she has as well, her comic timing is amazing. And I thought the whole class, I particularly love Jack Ryan as well, who plays your man Gabe. Do you know that she goes around yes, the house yes, for like fish fingers good. or chicken nuggets? I just thought that that's one of the best scenes in film I've ever watched. And it's got such heart and, and purity to it. And there was no glossing anything up. Or to have someone who's on screen who's meant to be, what age is she supposed to be? Like 14? Yeah. 14, yeah. As a viewer, you're just reveling in her awkwardness and written for the whole way. Yeah, I loved it. Well, Bo Burnham was the first man to come on Girls on Film. We make an exception very occasionally. <laughs> so he was our first. So you, you can go back and listen to that. Um, now, another one we featured in episode 46 where we spoke to Eliza Scanlon is Baby Teeth. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about Baby Teeth. I think Baby Teeth is one of my favourite watches of the whole year, actually. Mm -hmm. I just thought that it was so brave and the way that it incorporated so many different genres of film and it really did push those boundaries. It went from, and for it normally to be that sort of like sick girl story, it, it wasn't that at all for me. Of course, we're following um, Eliza Scanlon's character the whole way through and she's going through this sort of horrific journey um, of a really sick young person but it's more about her finding herself as a young woman and this amazing sort of volatile but yet so passionate and beautiful relationship with oh my god the character's name has just completely slipped my mind oh with Moses Moses well done Moses yes 
Yeah. I mean, those two were terrific together. Oh my God, their chemistry was just amazing. And it's it's deeply, darkly funny, isn't it? Despite all the tragic elements. Ben Mendelsohn's so fantastic in this as well. Oh my God, it's amazing. And I just think that all the characters, well, especially the four, the four um, Ben Mendelsohn's and Anna, the mum, Essie Davis, they're all just on the brink of like, they're so neurotic. And I just loved Eliza Scanlon's dancing on it. I'd be so interested to know like how long she worked on that. Because those scenes with her with her music teacher when she's dancing on that, it's just so beautiful. I'd love to know, was that choreographed or did she just come up with that herself? Well, she talked a little bit about, not about the dancing, but about um, flicking her hair blondely as per the script. So you might find the uh, the interview interesting in episode 46 if you go back to that one. Um, so yeah, but she's fantastic. And another film you picked out is Rocks, which we featured in episode 26 when we were in Rotterdam for the film festival. And that's currently available for people to watch. It's on Netflix and in cinemas. What did you love about Rocks? I actually went to see Rocks the night before it came out on Netflix and I was like, that is such a classic. But I was glad that I seen it with the big screen. Again, I just thought the writing was was so beautiful and I thought it earned its moments so well. And I thought that it was the real mirror up to what it's like to grow up in a in an area where the classes are so mixed for young people to be making massive decisions about their life well before their time and how that's dealt with and how eyes into a situation, even if they're your best friends, can be a call that they'll make that you would have never necessarily made yourself. And I just, I thought that the performance, particularly from the latent actress in a Kosar Alley, who plays the best friend, I just thought that that was, their performances were amazing and the chemistry was beautiful as well. And they were matched up because of the chemistry, I think, because when, um, when Sarah Gavron and her associate director, Anu, came on the podcast, she said that they matched people according to their chemistry and those two were just such a standout in how they got on together. Oh my God, amazing. Their chemistry was sensational. And the, the boy who played her little brother as well was just gorgeous. I was like, some of this has to be just improvised where they've just let him roll between the two, between rocks and her little brother they they had to have just let that roll or maybe the writing is just that that gorgeous but it just felt so fluid and and beautiful it's a very authentic film in the best possible sense yeah finally we had kerry fox on episode 28 of girls on film earlier this year and she talked briefly of course about shallow grave which is your final choice did you revisit that lately or have you seen it a few times well, i am a massive fan of um, Danny Boyle and actually Shallow Grave I'd never seen before and oh. myself and my mate were talking just about Danny Boyle stuff the other night on text and he told me to watch it so I did and oh my god it's just brilliant and again it's that sort of real real dark comedy that I love mm-hmm. and it's just so mad to see especially Chris Eccleston in that sort of role. He, he never, I haven't seen him in years playing sort of the more submissive part, but his performance in it was absolutely gorgeous. And obviously Hugh McGregor is just fantastic and absolutely electric. And just the way it's shot as well, I, I love, I loved it. And I thought it's Edinburgh it's set in, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nearly the way it's shot, it makes it feel so closed in that you're you're panicking for them the, the whole way through the film. Well, yeah, it's a claustrophobic thriller. It's, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I would say there's probably there's hopefully some younger people listening to this who might not yet have watched Shallow Grave. It is a stone cold modern classic, isn't it? And if you want yeah. a good 
good thriller with great performances and a lot of energy. That's the one to go for. Yeah. Um, if you're if you're old enough, check the certificate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd like to ask you about your hobbies. Why do you want a room here? If you smoke. You must be Hugo. So I can have the room? Yes, you can have the room. Yeah, Hugo, can you open your door? Alex, what are you doing? I'm just looking. Don't. Don't look. No. It's not every day I find a story in my own flat. It's not a story, Alex. It's a corpse. Well, listen, um, before I let you go, I wanted to see if you had anything you wanted to share with the girls on film listeners in particular, any young filmmakers and, and young people who want to get into film. Yeah, particularly this week after the announcements that have been oh, made and yeah. the sort of government campaign. I mean, I think everybody that's loving with me is so sick of me coming out of my room now and being like, and another thing. <laughs> Um, because we're all just fuming about it. Are you talking about the advert with the dancer, for example, that was removed? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so the, and the suggestion that those of us in the creative arts should be retraining to do something more practically useful. Yeah. Yeah, I'm incensed myself. Oh my God, I'm just fuming about it. But they told me I should work in a post office, so... Uh... Oh, did you do the test? <laughs> no disrespect to anyone that works in a post office. <laughs> I did the test and it was like hospitality, you know, working behind a counter. And it didn't even, doesn't even ask you anything about your creativity or your your um, goals or your qualifications or anything? Not at all. Well, actually, one of my friends, he actually has like a proper grown-up job, did it and it came up with she should be an actor. And I was like, well, apparently <laughs> there's no room for you, so... Brilliant. That's so funny. Yeah, lots of my artist friends are just getting artists. They're like, okay, well, I guess I'm in the right job. But yeah, so it gets it right for some people. Thank you so much for the validation, government. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so carry on. So you're incensed about that, as I am. I think it's an important time as well to fill this generation behind us with hope that they because it's important that they come up and they produce art and that their voice is heard and that their experience has has been demonstrated and um interpreted for all of us to enjoy and see to look back on and to learn from as well and anybody coming from any working class or regional areas for their voice to be heard I mean, that's a big thing that I that I feel that so much of what we see is London-centric so much of the time. And I would just hate now if anybody from a slightly different or disadvantaged background would be sat going, I'm way too scared now to take that leap of faith. I know I can do this, but I'm way too scared now, especially after what the, what the government has said. And I think, of course, it's scary. And I don't think any artist ever wakes up any day and goes oh today it's going to be an absolute breeze and everybody's going to hand it to me it's always a struggle and it's always a fight but I think now more than ever where we have to be behind each other and we have to push through and believe in each other and support each other's work and I think that it will be a real I would be really really disheartened and sad to hear that there's less drama school applicants next year and that there's less people wanting to get into this industry because what's most important and we've learned so much in these last couple of years and anybody with sense would have known it always that our industry should be reflective of everybody and if people are disheartened to join then it won't be and it's no point in it then there's just no point <laughs> so go for it is what you're saying and we agree exactly. with you go for it yeah. is what i'm saying in the most long-winded way possible i loved it inspiring <laughs> words Saoirse thank you so much for joining Girls on Film please come back another time and tell us about what you're up to next oh thank you so much 
So my next guests have both been shortlisted for Cinemagic Young Filmmaker 2020. They are Nirja Raj and Ruby Phelan. Welcome to you both. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having us, Anna. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, we're absolutely thrilled to welcome you because we I know we have quite a lot of listeners who are young filmmakers and are looking to get into the business. So I'm sure they'll be excited to hear from you and your experiences. And I've been watching your films. Now, Nija, your film is called Meow or Never, and it's a mm-hmm. musical space cat animation. Quite frankly, you had me at Meow. <laughs> I was just like, I have to see this film. And I was not disappointed because I love all those words and all those things. And it's very cute and very fun. Uh, tell us more about it from your perspective and what made you want to make it. Well, it's like you said, it's a it's a cat that's an astronaut. So a cat-stronaut that's, uh, <laughs> <Love it. laughs> that's traveling across the galaxy to look for the meaning of life. And um, she lands on a planet where she meets this dog and then things don't go to plan because the dog just messes everything up. <laughs> I'm on my way. Yes, I've got it. Set course to B206 planet. Here I come. Travel the whole space time. Continue on. I'm on a mission because it's time to find the meaning of life. Watch out, Confucius. I'll deduce it. My highly trained brain will introduce it to the world. Watch me go. I do things much better on my own. I gotta run, don't need no one. I think it's worth it as long as I find the meaning of life. I think where the story stemmed from is one, my love of cats and dogs. And I honestly can't pick. And two, I'm just an existential person in general. So I'm always like wondering about like, why are we here? What am I supposed to do? Is, is this all a simulation? I don't know. So, <laughs> um, I think all that meshed together is how Meow or Never came to life. And what's it like developing a whole new world for your story to take place in? Because obviously it's built and animated by yourself, right? Yes, yeah. Um, I had an amazing team with me. So I made this film at the National Film and Television School in the UK. So how the process is like is basically at the start of your second year, there are different departments. There's like the editing department, there's the screenwriting department, there's the sound designing department, composing department, etc. So uh, as the director, you pitch like three different ideas and um, you get your team on board. And so the first to to come on board was the producer and the screenwriter who I co-wrote with which was really nice actually because it was a back and forth process because I grew up like writing stories and I really really wanted to engage in that because it's just so nice to develop music and like lyrics along with your screenwriter and your composer who I also brought on board like very early on (laughs) but yeah I think building a world it's just it's interesting because especially because it was a musical I had to have everyone just on this unified path to make sure that the aesthetic of the film which is like cute and adorable and you know lighthearted and colorful for it to all like synchronize and work together and inform each other. Thank you. That's you've, you've painted a lovely pitch there as well. And we're going to say later how people can actually watch that. Ruby, your film is called The Mermaid and the Artist, which I also thought was a really interesting film. Congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. Tell us a little bit about the concept for that. So I was really inspired by Laura Mulvey's male gaze theory. 
and I actually went to see this exhibition in London, which was the Pre-Raphaelite Sisters, which was all about the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood and their muses. But these muses were actually a lot of the time artists and uh, poets. And I was really inspired by that theme of, of a muse and what it is to be looked at. And then I was quarantined in Brighton, which was fairly nice, actually. Um, but I would run along the seafront quite a lot. And so I was seeing the sea a lot of the time and I guess being back in my childhood home, revisiting a lot of kind of storybooks. And so I looked back into kind of folk tales and the sea and the muse and feminism. And I think that all just tied into this idea that what if it was a siren tale, but kind of subverted. So you had uh, somebody actually saying that they didn't want to be looked at anymore so they didn't want to be painted so I just kind of had these two I guess conventional characters that fit into the constrained gender roles that we sit in so I was I saw the artist and the mermaid as a really good like vehicle to explore the male gaze theory and in this story the artist uh, sees a mermaid in the sea and becomes obsessed with her and becomes inspired to paint her and then it just kind of spirals into a really uncomfortable place where it becomes an obsession and it becomes quite nasty and it's a bit mad but yeah and it's spot on for girls on film as, as yeah. you're suggesting what you're saying there a live action animation mix tell me how that that worked for you and who you collaborated with yeah so I kind of went away from doing lots of script-based work so I did a lot of storyboarding and a lot of drawing and then I collaborated with an amazing cinematographer and animator who lives actually two minutes away from me which was very handy and, and we just stumbled upon each other in the park one day and he was going to film school so I was like oh my god please be involved in my film so he helped me to bring my artwork to life and also to bring my real life characters into the artistic world that I created and what was really nice was that the artist He's living in two worlds and and one of them is his imagination and one of them is real life and they get mixed and matched. And also it was a really handy way to not have to kind of go into CGI world. Um, so I wrote this ridiculous script, which was talking all about like, he sees this mermaid in the sea and, and I didn't think about how that would even be achievable. <laughs> I didn't think practically at all. And then, and then we talked about it and he was like, well, what about if these mermaids that you've been drawing in your storyboards what if we bring this into life and then it all just kind of sprung from there and then it became a whole world alongside the real world so it was really exciting to see that that was possible actually yeah well collaboration is clearly very important to you both um, but I want to come back to Nirja now and say do you um, as a young female filmmaker have any sense that there are different challenges for women as opposed to men in the industry? Do you think it's a good time to be coming in as a woman? 
Oh, yeah, definitely. I think it's much needed, actually, because, I mean, when I was thinking about it, there aren't as many POC, people of color, filmmakers, female filmmakers in the industry right now. And I really want to try and contribute to that space in the future. And that's what I'm aiming towards. And like, I know it's big dreams, but it's like, <laughs> I think we need to recognize that the industry, I think it's furtively like keeping these rules in place in the sense that certain people can do certain jobs on a film that you wouldn't necessarily think. And, you know, you need to hire more female cinematographers. Like I often, like when I talk to my friends at the NFTS, it's always like things like, oh, that they're not tall enough. They couldn't possibly put the camera up there. These are the things that they hear, you know, when they... Wow. Yeah. About women. Yeah, about women. And is it men saying that? Um, yeah, <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> to state the obvious. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's a shame that that's still existing, but you guys are fighting against it, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, for example, Ruby, would you, moving forward, be particularly interested in working and collaborating with more female cinematographers, for example, editors, camera crew, you name it? Definitely. I'm actually working on pre-production for my next short and I found a female cinematographer which I'm so excited about and I also want to learn myself as well you know I'd love to uh, that's one of the areas that I am lacking in and I think it's just genuinely because I think when you're younger you don't see yourself in those positions you know you don't see I've been on set as as an actor before and you don't see female cinematographers particularly it's uh, you know there's a lot of male crew and so subconsciously I think you just don't really think that that's a role that you can inhabit or a role that's for you and it's such a shame to hear you know that there's still these ridiculous rumors going around about height (laughs) and and being able to carry cameras and kits Mm -hmm. and stuff like that and you know the role needs to be more accessible for people and that's definitely something I want to invest in is having more female, more females around me when I'm making my films, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if she can see it, she can be it. And you're both leading by example, which is fantastic. Now, Ruby, you mentioned you're making another short film. Nisha, what are you up to next? I'm also making another short film. Luckily enough, I got signed on to Nexus Studios roster as a director um, in July. Congrats. Thank you. So since July, I've been making uh, a film with them. And hopefully if everything goes to plan, it comes out in Jan. Brilliant. I feel like people might be listening back to this episode in years to come going, oh, wow, (laughs) just at the beginning of their career. This is them. Hope so. (laughs) We're going to get loads more listens when you guys get really famous. Uh, but you obviously both love what you do and you obviously both love film and um, because when we asked you what else you've been watching lately I was so impressed with what you both emailed through um, such a fantastically diverse list and we can't go through it all but um, Ruby I wanted to pick out a couple that you listed I mean there's some that we've spoken about a lot on Girls on Film such as the work of Celine Siama such as Portrait of a Lady on Fire yeah and more recently, Eternal Beauty, uh, Craig Roberts's um, directorial debut. Mm-hmm. But also Jane Long, our producer, was thrilled that you picked out Daisies. Tell us more about Daisies, because yes. that's a slightly more obscure one, isn't it? But it's kind of cultish. Honestly, Daisies is my my favourite film, <laughs> I think, ever. I, I watched it during lockdown because I got the BFI player. And I just, as I said on the email, I, I genuinely just binged 
on so much stuff um and I saw daisies and it just totally blew me away and I do love really cultish films, things that are slightly off the wall, but I think what was also just so fantastic was I was sitting there and I love this when this happens, when I, when I watch a film, I was just laughing to myself, uh, you know, silently just thinking this is so great to see these women just being bad and saying out loud, like the world is going bad, so let's be bad with it. And they just do everything that they can to just be as bad as possible um so you know they go on dates with older men and just eat loads of food and then the men think that they're going to go back on trains with them back to wherever they come from and then they jump off the train and then wave at them and laugh and so it's just it's brilliant and they just eat so much in this film and it's (laughs) it's so lovely to see two women just doing things that you don't see women doing and I think that it's just the experimentation it changes color palette all the time so it will go multicolored, then black and white then back to real life color really vivid and then it just switches all over the place and incorporates everything it's just this big pot of mess and I, I thought it was thrilling I loved it I think you've just sold a lot of people on that film <laughs> yeah yeah nice go and watch it it's amazing yeah let me let me come to the nature one for one that you've picked out and um one I wanted to talk about is Okja which I saw in Cannes which of course is from Bong Joon-ho is that the first time you watched it recently? Because it came out in 2017. I know. Yeah, it's the first time I've seen it. I saw Parasite first, and then I was like, I have to watch his other films. So then I watched Okja very recently. I don't There's something about his films where you're just on the edge of your seat, and each moment, like, he throws a wrench in it, and something happens, and you're like, wait, what's going to happen next? Like, how are they going to get themselves out of this situation? I don't know, that that ending, I mean, I don't want to spoil it, but it really broke my heart. Like, it's just, the whole film, in fact, it was very emotional. Major, we are animal lovers. Our plan is to expose Miranda, rescue Okja, and bring her back to you. Ten years in planning, on the cusp of a product that will feed millions. And what happens? That farmer girl is going to destroy us. You should know the situation is not good. Well, it's a bonkers setup, isn't it? But can you, for people who haven't seen it, can you explain a little bit what happens at the beginning? And, and it is, yeah, it is very unusual. Yes, it's set in this futuristic uh, world where pigs have been genetically engineered into making them super pigs basically and Akcha is the name of one such pig and um, the story basically focuses on this girl in a Korean village a young girl who looks after Akcha and when the time comes the company that engineered these pigs want them back to make them into meat and like you know to sell it in the market it's basically about how this girl tries to save Akja from this fate that she was always set out to be on it's kind of a a radical vegetarian movie in some ways I guess you think (laughs) yeah yeah and very surreal and Tilda Swinton's in it which is amazing yeah and yeah really interesting choice thank you because I think a lot of people are going and discovering his work after Parasite won everything yeah I don't think it's as good as Parasite but it's definitely worth a watch isn't it yeah definitely worth a watch I think with Parasite as well like the first half of the film it's like one genre which is comedy and then 
somewhere around the middle it switches and then it's horror yeah you're right I, I love the switch of it I yeah. watched it several times and it's quite fun to watch it back again with a step back and really watching where the where the mood suddenly shifts and how it does that mm. um, in a really shocking and very funny way I really want to see it in black and white as well I haven't I haven't seen it but apparently it changes it quite a lot have you seen it in black and white? I haven't seen it in black and white. It's interesting because I was initially very sceptical, like, well, that seems like a bit of a gimmick, you know? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But people are saying that it really changes your perception of it. Is it out in black and white? I had no idea. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But apparently it, like, changes the way that the surfaces look and then that plays into the, like, class divide and things. It, apparently mm. it's really interesting. So, yeah. Fascinating stuff. Briefly, I wanted to touch on another one that Ruby's mentioned, which is The Secret Garden from 1993, directed by Agnesia Holland. Because yes. I recently, well, actually, it was before lockdown, but it's about to come out. I watched the new Secret Garden movie, which is also an adaptation of by Frances Hodgson Burnett. Um, and that's out on October 23rd with Sky Movies. So that'll be on Sky Cinema. I really like this new version and it actually plays a little bit more with the story and it's a much more diverse cast but how is the 1993 one standing up these days? I loved it and I think that I loved it because obviously as you said like I start to notice now how undiverse the cast is but it is totally beautiful and I think that Roger Deakins cinematography is utterly gorgeous and it was just charming and I also watched it because I went through another bit of a a binge of watching all of these films that really inspired me when I was younger. So I remember watching The Secret Garden a lot when I was little and um, A Little Princess and all of those kind of like 90s, uh, I watched Matilda and all of that kind of stuff. So I was revisiting all of those and kind of trying to gather some inspiration from them. And I found it totally beautiful. And I am a bit of a sucker for anything that's period and I have this real thing I love films where you can hear people's shoes on the cobbles um (laughs) it's just a thing of mine I really love it so I just kind of um yeah just everything about it for me was really beautiful so it was a real like special highlight of my re-watching 90s kids films (laughs) is that Mary Lennox number 43 yes Mary Lennox I've come to claim her. I'm Mrs. Medlock, housekeeper at Misselthwaite Manor. The Lord Archibald Craven, her uncle and guardian. What a queer, unresponsive little thing. And my word, a plain piece of goods. Her mother was a beauty. She certainly didn't hand much of it down, did she? Oh, she might improve as she gets older. Children change. Well, she'll have to change quite a bit. And if you ask me, there's not much to improve at Misselthwaite Manor. Nature, what was the highlight for you from your list, if you want to pick any one other out? I'd say Better Days. It's by Derek Sang. And um, it's touching on the system in China where um, students undergo this rigorous examination uh, system where all their education is basically done for their parents and for the country. It kind of shows that in the film and how it reminded me of how like it's kind of similar in India as well. We have this whole process where students are so pressurized to get good grades that it affects their mental health and things need to change. But it kind of shines a light on that and also bullying 
it really moved me as a film. It's definitely one people should check out. It was actually banned in several places because the Chinese government didn't want the the truth to come out or basically wow. censorship. Yeah. It's been such a pleasure to have you both. Any final words from you? Um, particularly any advice for anyone listening in, any Cinemagic crowd who wants to know what the future holds in terms of filmmaking and they want to get involved? Ruby, you first. Um, I just think if I was going to give any advice, I think it's just to, uh, from my own perspective, it's it's trying not to kind of seek permission to do stuff. I think that I haven't had any training in filmmaking at all I've I've been very like theatre and performance based in my training and I have always desperately wanted to make a film and I had an amazing conversation with one of my tutors uh, who was a playwriting tutor and he said what do you want to do in kind of five years time what's your goal and I was like I want to have made a film and I want to have either been in a film or made a film and he was like well that's what you've got to do then and you've got to stop waiting for somebody to tell you that you can and you've just got to make it happen and I think that there's always that moment where you kind of feel barred by something and maybe it's money or maybe it's equipment but there really is no you can make a film on your phone like all of the animation stuff I did on my phone if you've got the idea and the passion I think it's just anyone who has that can do it so I think stop asking for permission read lots of feminist literature watch lots of female written films and directed films so yeah sorry that was a lot that was all of my advice (laughs) that's good great tips I love that Ruby yeah, on similar lines, like, don't wait for anyone. And also, you need to believe in yourself when you're making a film and, like, ignore all the naysayers. And there will be people who kind of don't really see your vision or, like, believe in you. But as long as you know what you're doing and you believe in your story, I think that might be the way to go forward. And also, I think the business is tough in general. Like, you know, you get rejected so many times and all the filmmakers who are up on the top, like they don't really tell you that. Really? You know, yeah. yeah it's the, I mean, we often, it's it's a common thing. We often talk about our successes and accomplishments and we don't really want to talk about our failures, but like everyone has them, I think. And I think it's good to like remind everyone that, you know, even if one door closes on you, another one opens. Brilliant. Yeah. And and I think you should take any opportunity that comes your way as well. Well said. And very appropriately, I don't know if you heard my cat meowing during that. So I think he was he was trying to join <laughs> in. You know, he I heard that. About cats. He's auditioning for you. Yeah, it's a little audition there. Yeah. Has he, has he got the part? <laughs> Maybe a call back. Maybe a call back. Yeah, I'll think about it. <laughs> Nija and Ruby, it's been such a pleasure to have you both on. Um, very promising filmmakers. And we look Look forward to seeing what you do next. Please keep in touch with Girls on Film. Thank you so much, Anna. Oh, I will do. Thank <laughs> you so, so much. Best of luck. If you're in the UK or Ireland, you can watch Ruby and Nija's films in this shortlist showcase. It's exclusively on the Queen's Film Theatre Player from 16th of October to the 1st of November. There's 150 plus short films, which are from the best young filmmakers in the UK and Ireland. We've talked about a lot of great films today and we'll be listing where to find them online, particularly if you're in the UK, in the episode description. Thanks for listening to Girls on Film. Thanks to our executive producer, Hedda Archbold, our producer, Jane Long, our assistant producer, Heather Dempsey, intern, Eliana Jay, and our partners for this episode, Cinemagic. 
The Cinemagic Film Festival is on till the 5th of November 2020. Uh, go to filmfestival.cinemagic.org.uk. Don't forget to follow us and message us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And do go to our Patreon page where you can give a small amount each month to support us. Go to patreon.com forward slash girls on film podcast. Please subscribe and review us if you've enjoyed this episode. And don't forget to check out our special film shows on the BFI's YouTube channel. You've been listening to me, Anna Smith, and I was joined by Saoirse Monica Jackson, Ruby Phelan and Nija Raj. See you soon and stay safe, everyone. Why is he making that funny noise? He's English, Ola. That's the way they talk.